what's most important is that you realize no two attempts are the same. I'm going to be completely honest with you about the results. If there's no dialogue established, I'm going to tell you. You're going to see a lot of confusing things, things you don't understand, but do not question them and do not speak in any way. I want you to know whatever I say when I'm in tune is going to be at a very low volume. You won't hear any of it, but Stephen's going to write it down and he's going to repeat it for you. Okay? Dim the lights, please. calling out to you. Tell us where you are. Can you hear us? Answer us. I can't see in here. Follow my voice. Why aren't you, why aren't you talking anymore? Broccoli pizza! Hey yo, Cubby Broccoli over here! Producer of the commercially acclaimed James Bond franchise! Just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in! I guess you guys have summoned me from the afterlife as a conduit to dig up some never-before-heard material that got deleted from past Diminishing Returns recording sessions. It's the only explanation. Well alright, first up we got a real nice selection from Christmas 019. The boys covered the Home Alone movies and spoke about some pre-911 air flight if you know what I mean. Oh! They have to kind of... For whatever reason, they have to make it to make sure that they don't realise Kevin's missing until they get to France. So, the parents are in first class and all the kids are in coach? Yeah. Is that is that a normal thing to do? Just fucking ditch your kids in the... Uh, it is if you're um, Kirsty Olsop from um, Location, Location, Location. She puts her kids in the... And she smashes up their iPads as well. This is a, a reference completely lost on any international listeners we might have. <laughs> lost but, on uh, me, Colin. I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, right. Oh. I mean, I, I have no idea who you're talking about either. But... Kirsty Olsop from Location, Location, Location. I mean, I heard it the first time. <laughs> She's she's a upper middle class woman who um, presents a TV show about property, and she is often in the headlines because of her privileged uh, parenting techniques, which include putting her children in coach. And I've heard about this just anecdotally uh, from people who have the opportunity to fly in first class, and then they will leave their children if they are above, let's say, the age of twelve in economy, because they should uh, they won't appreciate the they first don't need class the enough. No, no, exactly. But does that mean some poor... I'm trying not to swear. Some poor schmo has to uh, look after the, all the kids and, like, shepherd them around, like, while they're causing havoc on the on in the other section. Uh, 
or 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 a flight steward or someone does it um yeah exactly that's what i mean i think the only time i've ever flown in first class is is uh when i was about eight maybe a mm. bit older how did that happen um i think i got upgraded because i was feeling ill and the flight <laughs> assistant felt bad for me Did let you go and oh s- god go and let him sit on yeah. the captain's knee and press the buttons i mean it was mm. probably pre 9 11 good old days yeah I was thinking, actually. I mean, this this is more about the second film, really. But was wasn't it the most pre nine eleven film you've ever seen? <laughs> what with, uh... the, with, the, with the sloppy plane security? Well, not only that, but you know, Kevin McAllister goes up to the top of the twin towers. Donald Trump's in it, and it's like a nice, fun little thing. It's not <laughs> depressing. And uh, yeah, like the 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 very lax airport security. Oh, you probably got a ticket in here somewhere. Yeah, get on there, go on. <laughs> so they ditch the kids in coach. They're in first class, I think, because you know it's difficult to film with a load of kids in it. It's easier just to film adults in a small plane set. What about that scene where the mother realises that they've left Kevin uh, behind, which happens on the plane. She has a dream about something, and she wakes up, and then she's like, oh, something's wrong, something's wrong, something's wrong. Kevin! But there's no reason why she should make that realisation. As far as she knows, Kevin is sat in the back, in the cheap section, flying along nicely. A mother knows, Alan. She knew subconsciously, and she just pieced it together. Mothers have a sixth sense connection with their children. (laughs) Is that right? Do you want to ask yes, my mother yes. about that? <laughs> Alan, you you have a very unusual mother. Alan. I don't know if you can use that yeah. as a gauge for any sort of family bond. My mum would definitely buy this. as like a, you know, thing that, you know, oh yeah, mum, mothers know. They just know when their kids are in danger. Or not there. <laughs> I mean, I'm not even talking about that. I bet, you know, in, in a kind of Darren Brown brains doing things you don't know about kind of way, I, I think she probably just realised he wasn't there, but like didn't want to tell herself because then she wouldn't get to go on holiday. And, uh, <laughs> it was only later on when the guilt kind of got to her and she digested it a bit that she was like, oh yeah, I better had go pretend mm. I care. She obviously doesn't care about a kid. You don't have like 15 kids if you care about them. <laughs> She's got five kids. Too many. Yeah. There you are too many you can't, kids. You can't give any one of those kids a proper upbringing if you've got that many other kids to look after. <laughs> mm. Three, <laughs> I think, is about the maximum you can get away with. Space them out. <laughs> Interesting theory. Hey, last in New York, huh? New York, my kind of town. The city that never rests in peace, capiche? From one New York movie to another with these clips I've dug up from the infamous Three Men and a Baby episode session. Anyway, so Friends was good, wasn't it? Uh, classic, classic 90s sitcom. Uh, the one where they do this and that. Joey's in it. Eats food. Joey doesn't share food! The point was Tom Selleck was in Friends and did very well. Joey doesn't share food. Monica, Monica was fat when she was younger. Stop him, Alan! Stop him! Come on, <laughs> intervene. Uh, okay, Monica, so Mon- you know Monica. If you no, that's not you stopping him, Alan. That's <laughs> you taking a breath and then letting him carry on. You know Monica. If uh, if you don't tidy up, oh, she'll be annoyed. <laughs> And, uh, so, but you, but, no, but you, know, you know what? No, but you know what? You know, tell me you're editing this. Because if you do tidy friends. up, him out. So let me ask you a question. If you do tidy up, but don't tidy up the right way, 
She'll also be Steve annoying. Gutenberg, so you, right? you can't win mm-hmm. with Monica. Yeah. She's uptight. Steve Gutenberg. <laughs> What's he been doing for the last oh, 30 years? Oh, Phoebe's weird. Not a lot. Smelly cat. But he was in short circuit, like I said. <laughs> well, after three men and a little lady, she can't he play didn't the guitar. Five years. Do you think that's a, a sign of the quality of the film? Or, or is that <laughs> I think he's meant to be Ross, a bit more of a bland Ross character. Ross dinosaurs. In it. With all the Disney live-action remakes that are happening at the moment, what's your opinion on them? Mostly awful. I mean, like, okay, I, because they—I mean, medi- mediocre I, to awful, yeah. Okay, so what kind of ratings have you been giving them out of ten? Well, I gave the Lion King three out of ten, and that probably got an extra point just for the weird, like, technological innovation that it brought to the table and some very good performances dotted about. So, what about Aladdin? What about Beauty and the Aladdin, Beast? Aladdin five out of ten. Um, pretty bad a lot of nice ideas not very well put together Beauty and the Beast I didn't mind 7 out of 10 I don't think the original's that precious to begin with I was wow. they okay, added lots so, of new songs okay. and I liked that so you gave them let's take those as examples because that's quite that's quite good Aladdin a 5 out of 10 Beauty and the Beast 7 out of 10 now Alan you know exactly how I feel about Beauty and the Beast because we watched it together um, and you're saying that this one you're marking it down because you only really respect a film, like even if it's bad, if it's a five, like Mamma Mia 2, you only respect it because it tries to do something new, it swings and it misses. Yeah. No, I, I, didn't, action, I didn't say it tries to do something Beauty new. Beauty and the Beast but, yeah. and the live action Aladdin do not try anything new. It's not no, the they case do. of there's about, and there's about four new songs no, in not. the new Beauty and the Beast and they were written by Alan Menken or no, whoever it was and I like No, them. there's not. There's not that there's many. about four new songs. Days and in the sun. And it's almost a shot for la, shot. La 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 boo doo dee doo. And uh, how does a moment last forever? Kevin Klein, the the poor man's Bill Murray, he's in there doing that song. You think that's taking a swing and missing? I call that film pretty much a shot for shot remake and a poor man's version of it. Yeah, I don't. I, see, I think the, I just don't get how you you're just moving the goalposts. No, the, the, I don't understand why. The 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 shot other the than shot for the shot, personal resentment of watching this film today and it pissed the you shot off. for shot remake elements of that film. Yeah, not a big fan of it. But when it went off book and did new stuff, I quite enjoyed it. It didn't really go off book, though. Not enough to justify the millions of pounds that get poured into that film. And you've given that a 7 out of 10. Yeah, well, that, that, was, given this a that two. was really early into it as well. So there was an air of, like, weird thought experiment film about it where it's like, oh, what would this look like in live action? We haven't really done one of these since the 90s, guys, with the Flintstones. But they... What they did, they they did Cinderella, they did Maleficent. Well, like... Cinderella wasn't really. I mean, that was much more of a broad. Let's adapt this classic story anew and throw a couple of references to old Disney in there. Maleficent was a prequel, and I hated it. I should add three out of ten, and I didn't like Cinderella. Particularly. Oh, I like Maleficent. I think it did well. Oh, it was dreadful. But you just, I just, I don't know. I find it just quite frustrating because it feels a little bit like I don't know how you're rating these films. Well, um, um, I just think a little bit like you're you're kind of the rules are changing each time. That's why I'm getting frustrated. Um, I'm not even frustrated. Like I, I'm not going to lose sleep over it. I just find it hard to keep up with you, basically in terms of rating. Mm. But I mean, I think you seem bothered by other people's opinions <laughs> quite a lot. Well, fair enough. I mean, <laughs> you do know me so well. Um, but I just think two is aggressively low. <laughs> I don't get why. I, I honestly, I hated it. I like I said, it is. I cannot remember the last time it's I watched so, the film it's on this podcast. I find it so, that I've had so interesting that you hate yeah. it. 
it was bad. It, mm. it, 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 just, it didn't, it didn't do anything. Like, look, a lot of the Beauty and the Beast getting a 7 out of 10 is, like, ticking boxes of things I like, but there were new songs in it. It was still a live-action musical, and it's very rare that you kind of get big live-action musicals. It's not rare at all now, though. It's so commonplace. There's, like, three a year. That's very rare. How many horror films are there a year? How many comedies are there a year? How many dramas are there a year? How many musicals are there a year? Yeah, but there's three three a year from Disney. Like, no, there's about three musicals a year on average, I'd say. Well, I mean, considering you also consider Disney animation to be a musical as well, I mean, I think that's... I, I don't think it is three a year at all. What with live action, new animation, and other musicals coming out. But hey, that is oh, yeah, me splitting all, hairs now. Of... We're going off topic. And I know Alan's like wanting to pull his eye out. <laughs> all, all one Disney animated films we get a year that are sometimes musicals, but sometimes not. Yeah, Frozen 2 is a musical. So that's our one this year. Aladdin, The Lion King. I mean, we are getting more of these than we used to. It's because Disney's really stepped up the um, the uh, put the put the pedal to the metal, so to speak, with these things. Because they realise the bubble's about to burst and uh, we're trying to rush through them. Do you think? Do you think they're getting a sense of the end? Well, it doesn't strike me as the empire kind of crumbling just yet. I wish it would. I feel with I'm regards sick of to it. the live action stuff specifically. Yeah. Yeah, I think people are getting sick of it. Really? Oh, good. <laughs> I mean, they're still making money, and they probably always will. Yeah. That's a sad thing. But Disney's running out of films in its catalogue. And, you know, once we get to the point that they're doing, like, revisionist prequels about... Uh... I don't think prequels are a bad way to go with them. I know, but... I mean, Maleficent, I think, as a concept, works really well. I'm not enjoying the trailers for Maleficent 2, not gonna lie completely unnecessary but i mean in theory i'd rather have a sequel or a prequel to one of the odd disney films yes yeah i think that people won't go for that i think most people think these films are crap and they kind of go out of obligation because they love the original and they just want to see what's been done with it even though they kind of know it's not going to be that good maybe maybe i've got quite a biased cross-section of friends who kind of all go you know, oh, I loved it, you know, it's great, it's exactly what I wanted, and, oh, I find that frustrating. Anyway, sorry, I appreciate we are on a massive tangent, and I know I can I can literally hear Alan dying. I mean, I, th- I think the point is that I think I have been quite consistent in that, like I say, I gave The Lion King a 3 out of 10, because it was a- aggressively awful, but... Are you still talking about points this? Points in this, because it was... <laughs> well, I'm comparing it to this, I'm saying, you know, I think 2 out of 10 is fair, because this d- wasn't a- an innovative new special effects experiment. Three men and a baby, huh? Did you know that you can see me, the ghost of Cubby Broccoli, lurking behind the curtains in one scene in that movie? Nah, I'm just jerking your chain. I weren't dead yet back in 1987. That spectral apparition you can see in that movie is the ghost of Steve Gutenberg's career. Yuck. Speaking of struggling careers, here's a clip from the session the boys did when talking about the mask. What he's been looking for for the last 10 years. Dumb and Dumb and 2 didn't do it. Didn't relaunch him. So uh, here we go. If we want to talk about Jim Carrey's career a little bit, I think he, he had a long time in the sun and he and he managed to straddle comedy and, and serious. Like he's had 10 years, I would say. I would say he had a really solid career for 10 years. That's pretty good. Man. But it's not like he then disappeared. He then had a solid career that is perhaps not mm. as great. 
No, he but he's still working of... and doing big oh, things. Well, he's still he's never not going to work. It's Jim Carrey, but I'd say pretty much everything made after. I think Bruce Almighty is pretty much his last um, hit. Isn't let me it? let me just have a look at his thing and. Uh, but yeah, Bruce Almighty was definitely a big a big thing. Um, I guess he. Oh no, Eternal Sunshine came after Bruce Almighty. I forgot about that. Mm-hmm. That's I'd say his last significant. Well, actually, a lot of people like Yes Man, and even though it was bullshit, yeah, that was pretty shit. But that is when that's when it starts to fall apart. He did the likes what, of what about Mr. Popper's Penguins. <laughs> I've never seen it actually. I assume it's shit. But yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I he he just made a lot of very questionable choices around this point. The Incredible Burt Wonderstone, and then he kept going away and coming back, and it was this kind of constant. This is going to be the one. This is going to be the, the the career move that relaunches it, and everyone gets all excited again. Kickass Two. Oh no, actually, maybe not. Dumb and Dumber Two. Oh, maybe not. Ooh, dark Crimes. No, no. And uh, like I say, Sonic the Hedgehog. That's that's gonna be the one, isn't it? Well, he's left an indelible mark on Hollywood, you know. And like I say, he's he's inimitable. I think he fell out of love with acting for a bit and sort of went off just to enjoy spending his millions of dollars in his yeah. private mansion. What he does, it's a young man's game, that isn't it? You can't be doing that when you're fifty-seven years old. It's a high-energy concept. Oh, I don't know about that. Robin Williams was doing it way into late life. I'm surprised he hasn't segued more into voice work. Mm, I don't really like Jim Carrey's voice in animation. He, he's he's done it a couple of times, and I've, it's never really worked for me. A Christmas Carol, Horton Hears a Who. There's definitely another one. I'm not a big fan of it. Mm, should have played Genie. I, I mean, it's a logical it's a logical thing for him to do, but I don't really. I'm I'm glad if he doesn't <laughs> um, feel the need to do that again. But yeah, I think. Uh... Jim Carrey, yeah. I think he's probably got. I think he's probably got a couple of things still in his in the bag there. I think he's, we'll probably see him again doing something great. Oh, I know. He well, he, what happened was he he did his big mainstream blockbuster fair. He did quote unquote Jim Carrey movies, and then he started dabbling with um, legitimate films and real acting, proving he was a great actor. Yeah, and did and did so. And then it, yeah, he did completely. And then after that, it started to fall apart a bit. Because he was just, I don't know, it seemed like he didn't, he took his foot off the, the pedal with regards to the comedy work and didn't well, know what he was doing anymore. That's okay. Fell I mean, asleep how, at the wheel. How long can you be at the top? It's, it's okay. Hey, yo, have you guys heard about this movie, A Quiet Place? Well, neither has Connor Murray, the guest the guys had on that episode, because it turns out he went and watched a different movie instead. And then, um, again... Like a year later, when I was on the other side of the world again, all this hype about Bird Box started coming up. And yeah. it's like, everywhere I looked, it was like fucking Bird Box, Bird Box, Bird Box. And I was like, that just seems like another quiet place. So, Well, I mean, Bird Box is just Medusa, isn't it? Uh, I know that Medusa has snakes Medusa. in her hair, but I don't know about any sort of like specific legend or anything. If you look at Medusa, you turn to stone. Isn't that the legend, Alan? Yeah, but in Bird Box, people go crazy and like... Yeah, but you can't look at the, you can't look at them. I haven't watched Bird Box, but I thought the whole premise was there's some some monsters appear, and if you look at them, you kill yourself. Uh, yeah, yeah, you can't so look you at can't them. Look at them, but uh, but you never actually seen them. I didn't watch a Quiet Place again for this uh, podcast. Actually, I actually watched Bird Box instead because <laughs> <laughs> because I thought it was going to be the same thing. And in some ways it was, but just in the fact that it just kind of had a gimmick behind it, you know, just don't look and that's it. And then it actually, it, it actually surprised me 
in that it handles a similar gimmick in a very different way. And I actually prefer Bird Box. If I if if I had to watch one of these, really, and I'd watch Bird Box sooner. Yeah. Interesting. It's got an element that I think you would kind of like, Saul. That okay, so a quiet place. You know, it's like it's a family. You know, isolated in the woods, they're trying to survive. They're trying to like stick it out. But but Bird Box takes a totally different approach, actually, that pleasantly surprised me. And uh, in that, about fifty or sixty percent of the film is actually these sort of unrelated mismatch of characters trapped inside a house trying to survive. There's kind of like a zombie survival element in there. You know, like they've clearly taken inspiration from some zombie tropes, and that actually pleasantly surprised me. And then I liked it. But it's a similar kind of thing where if you think about it too much, nothing makes sense. And it's just like, okay, all right, you know, let's just get through to the end here. <laughs> Interesting. I, I, I just, I heard it was shit, so I didn't bother watching it. But it's a nice premise. I, I wouldn't mind actually saying it. I probably will check it out at some point. I mean, I think It's shit to me a- in the same way that A Quiet Place is shit. Yeah. I, I think they're making a sequel, so maybe we'll get to, Fuck get sake, to really? the show at some point. Yeah. That bird box sound like it's got the right idea. You didn't see nothing, understand? Now this is what I'm talking about! Some unused material from when Thomas Turgoose and Andrew Ellis graced the show with their presence, much like I'm doing right now. Whereas I can offer all the insights of a seasoned Hollywood film producer, they got nice and in-depth about the craft of being an actor. Oh! How much, yeah, what, what was the rehearsal period, I guess, from all of you getting together to, like, pre, pre-filming? Was, was what, yeah, you said sort of workshop. We did Nottingham and went to Walton Towers, didn't we? <laughs> yeah, we did as well, we did. Literally, it was all, it was all character building, so we yeah. was all out as a gang. Literally, mm. they just took us, took us around the city and took us on day trips as a gang and just see how we all got on as, as mates. And it was, it was fucking brilliant, wasn't it, Andy? Yeah. It was so good. It was so good. There was a little bit of like seriously actors. So we, after we all kind of got cast, we well, we we went and did a few kind of workshops, didn't we? Pre starting filming, T and in was it what's the cinema called, the Broadway or something? Broadway, and we did a bit in uh, the Carlton workshop <laughs> as well. Yeah, and then yeah, a week before filming, we all we all went down and kind of moved to Nottingham. Those of us who didn't live there, like me and Tomo, um, and yeah, like Tomo said, we did a week of quote w- rehearsals where we. Um, yeah, we just dicked about, really, didn't we? We did, like, talent shows in character. We went, like Tom said, we went to Alton Towers. We, w- we went to the arcades. Yeah, it was, it was, it was, mint. was really good. Have you, have you guys found that, like, going into the world of acting after that has just been a huge disappointment because it's not fun? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just think it's fucking, it's hard work now, isn't it? It's hard work. Yeah. It's just different. Because we care more now, it's like, (laughs) yeah, because we know what we want to do with our lives, it's just more difficult, but I guess if we didn't care about it, then that's the worrying thing, you know what I mean? We we care about it, we worry and panic because we love it and we want to do it, do you know what I mean? It's not a bad thing. Yeah, yeah. And it is different, like you say, every every job's different, and I don't think any, any... you know, 15 years now we've been doing this. I don't think I've done any job that's even remotely like This Is England in terms of, like, say, freedom and stuff like that. I remember the the job I did after This Is England, my first, like, other acting job. I did an episode of Heartbeat, and I remember the continuity person, like, bothering me every two minutes because I was saying <laughs> the line slightly wrong. I was, like, <laughs> saying, like, get get on your bike, get, you know, and she was coming over going, it's get on your bike, not get on your bike. And I'm like, <laughs> fuck off, man. Like, this, you know, I'm 
saying a line that's you know but that's it you know every every job's different isn't it some sometimes it's it's nice to stick stick to the script we get the scripts for this is england i don't know about you tomo but when we get the scripts from this is england it it, they're just it's amazing it's like getting a new harry potter book it's just like yes <laughs> and you sit and you read it and you're like this is the fucking best thing ever you know you'll ring shane up going this is amazing jack this is amazing but then ultimately you know that that script's never going to see the light of day you're not going to make that <laughs> you know so it's sad in a way that you know i i have to ask about this is england 86 because i remember when i first watched it being so just taken out of what I was watching, I suppose, when I watched it, and going back to it every single time. Now, I don't want this to sound like I'm being at all critical, because I absolutely love this character, <laughs> but ha- what was the decision? Like, how did it happen, casting Perry Fitzpatrick as Flick <laughs> the Bully? Because he's such a big performance, and quite a, a grounded, fairly real, um, you know, film and TV show apart from him up until that point. <laughs> and it's this huge comedy character, and I, I love him. I think he's hilarious, but... Shane likes to project a bit of comedy into his... Yeah. So his thing. And if you're watching... Uh, how many episodes is, is 86? Is it six episodes? Four. Four. Four hours, and I don't think you want to watch four hours of Mick and Lol, do you? Yeah. I think he kind of, like, it's sort of trying <clears throat> to find balance of having the comedy side of it, you know what I mean? I think that, yeah. yes, that's kind of, I don't know, that'd be my personal, from as a viewer, that'd be, yeah, you can't you can't have four hours of doom and gloom. Yeah, yeah. So I guess you've kind of got to have that comedy angle. The thing is, is is, is Flip is like, you know, as Flip and Higgy, as they go on as well, they, they <laughs> we can we can see as actors that they're probably Shane's favourite thing on set, <laughs> right, Tomo? <laughs> Like when they're when they're on set, Shane comes fucking alive, and it's like, right, let's have you guys doing this. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you if you're a fan of Shane Meadows, you know, you know, is it a room for Romeo Brass? Mm-hmm. You've got um, Paddy Constantine's character. Mm, yeah, that's yeah. not far away from Flip. That's yeah. not far away from Flip at all, is it? Just yeah, fucking touch it. Yeah. Just fucking touch it. You know, if you watch, um, <laughs> you know, most of his films, he's, he's, he, that Shane's humor. You know, Shane Shane yeah. is that bloke that can go from you know, telling you the most darkest, grimmest story in the world to having you piss yourself the next minute. And, and, and you know, the, the world that This Is England is set in is such a fucking boring mm. shit town in the middle of nowhere <laughs> where no one's got any kind of aspirations. And, and there's that character. And, and he's based on a real character, right? And it's T. Um, uh, I don't, I have no idea, mate, to be yeah, honest. Yeah, apparently, um, Flip is based on... Bartley Gorman's son. So is it Bartley Gorman, the, the gypsy Benacle fighter? Bartley oh, Gorman's right. son used to be like the cock of Shane's town. <laughs> um, and and he, apparently he was just this, you know, this big hard bloke that was just kind of a bit, bit you know, silly, I guess. And, yeah. um, and that just was really, that was... really, really hard. <laughs> and just, yeah, just really fucking hard, you know. Well, it's <laughs> a bit like myself. <laughs> See, that, that makes so much sense if it's based on someone real, because it's just such a yeah, big swing, that character. It feels really odd um, just on Shane's part to make that decision, but I'm so glad he did, because like I say, I love that character. I think he's hilarious. Yeah. You're right, though. There is, a, there is a lot of comedy that comes through. One of my favourite oh, yeah, characters yeah. of the whole thing is Smell, who really <laughs> treads this fine line of sitcom character and quite serious sort of performer. And because she never really gets her own kind of serious plot line to deal with, like the, the real emotional stuff she has is with a uh, relationship with Sean. But even that, like when she 
catches him in bed with another woman and all that. It just feels like you're watching a sitcom, even though it's quite a serious scene. Mm. Yeah, again, again, that's that's Roz as well, isn't it? Roz is, is such a great actress, but like you know, a lot a lot of her is in the character, I guess, and you know, she she is funny one minute and then the next minute she can again be making you cry. <laughs> <laughs> And I guess that's kind of like staying true to the characters and keeping them who they are. Yeah. But I, I do know what you're saying in a sense that it is a very serious scene that's also can be sort of portrayed as a bit of comedy as well. Do you know what I mean? It's mm. very, very, it's a very fine line of what Shane creates. But mm. And yeah. it's one of them. It's serious at the time, isn't it? If you're 15 or how old, how old would Sean yeah. be there, say yeah. 16, and, and you get caught cheating on your girlfriend, at the time it's serious, but... You know, when you're 30, you'd look back at it and go, fuck, you know, that was funny. And that's probably what Shane's doing. He's looking back on it, being yeah, yeah, him yeah. now, at his age, and going, it was funny. There's a line in uh, 86, I don't have a name anymore, I'm just darkness, which I made a note of when I was re-watching <laughs> it a few weeks back. And I remember that being so <laughs> funny to me at the time. But obviously, you know, it's it's not, the character's not finding it funny, is he? It's, you know, it's serious to him. <laughs> Yeah, that's what is that one of my ones? That one sounds familiar. That oh, it is one of yours. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah. Again, you know, just I, I think that that would have been a conversation with because that one wasn't directed by Shane. That episode, I think it was um, Tom, wasn't it? Yeah, Tom Harper. Um, yeah, again, you know, again, that was brilliant because I got to the the lad who's kissing Kelly on the toilet <laughs> is is my real life best mate. So it was great because I asked I asked. The director Thomas said, "Can I have? Can we have some mates at the party?" And he was like, "No, you can have one mate here, but you've got to be the one who snogs Kelly." Oh. And so, it, you know, I, I in my head, I was thinking, "What if I'd just seen my best mate snog the love of my life?" <laughs> you know, and, and ridiculousness comes from that, I guess. Yeah. You know, yeah. actually, just on a bit of a tangent there, I watched Gone for the Wind, uh, Gone with the Wind for the first time two days ago. Never seen it before. Mm. And all I could think about was your your Clark Gable moustache. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's obviously there's a lot of drinking scenes and you're really drinking. There's also a lot of drug taking. I assume that doesn't uh, they don't stretch to bringing no, actual no, heroin no, no, onto no. set. Yeah, no, <laughs> the line at crack. Oh well, that's disappointing. <laughs> <laughs> we did a student film at uni, and Alan uh, snorted Angel Delight that was standing in for cocaine and gave himself a nosebleed on camera. <laughs> 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 no, it's, 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 it's very strict. I remember arguing with um, the the first assistant director, Nikki Salt, who's just an amazing lady. But I remember um, having a bit of a, of a little argument with her and. Um, the scene where in '86 where Gadget and Harvey are sniffing sherbet. Yeah. Oh well, well they th- you think they're sniffing cocaine, and then yeah, yeah. Harvey says it's fucking sherbet. Um, like I, I wasn't allowed to sniff the sherbet, and I was like, oh, it's fine. Like I don't mind doing it. And she was like, no, like we don't know how like dangerous that could be. And I was like, I've done it before, like having a laugh with my mates in the park. <laughs> like it's fine. And she's like, no, we can't. So it's you know everything's kind of really, really you know we're looked after on there and. Yeah. By by letting us have a drink, like we we have a couple of cans. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's not like we get bladdered and uh, and crack on. I yeah. did notice actually in the film, uh, the 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 scene where the the gang goes and basically smashes up some abandoned buildings. The you know they're all sort of wearing kind of funny costumes. Like oh why are you wearing that? Oh we just do it. It's fun. But I noticed that it meant everyone was wearing goggles or was some sort of eye protection. And I thought that's quite a nice way of building that into the scene so they can go free and just smash everything up and not worry about getting hurt, like having the health and safety there without actually making it obvious. Yeah, that yeah. was a very clever move, that. I've never thought about it like that. 
Yes. Oh, he didn't tell you that. <laughs> I assumed that was. No, like, no, no. We just. Uh, I just. I remember saying to the costume, "Why am I wearing one? Why am I wearing a jumper that's got fucking squirrels in it in summer? <laughs> Two, why am I wearing goggles?" And I remember saying that. But then you just sort of get on with it. But now, actually, yeah, it's a good shout. I never knew. Makes that. sense. Yeah. We did. We went to town on their houses, didn't we? Oh, that was so fun. That was so fun. <laughs> that's a that's a definite example of where they've just got you can you can see it's just like go and have a laugh, lads, go and smash this shit up, like whatever kid thirteen year old kid wants to do. Yeah. And that's a great example of, of what Tomo was saying before, where uh, Tomo was saying Shane gets you in the mood for the scene and, and, and he makes you, you know, you know, if it's a sad scene for for say Tomo, Shane will tell him a sad story and get him in the mood. Um if you if you watch that scene where we all run off into the houses Shane came over to me and told me, he was like, right, you, um, you, uh, Jack and Kieran, you're all going to run to the left and the other lads are going to run to the right. He told everyone else to run fucking right. So I do like <laughs> this weird little zigzag where I run one way and go back the other. And, and that's because he knew that I would do that and it would just look ridiculous. <laughs> God, he is a manipulator, isn't he? <laughs> One thing you pick up when adapting a series of 14 books in a 25 movies is how to get your money's worth out of the source material. This Peter Jackson guy only got six movies out of the complete works of Tolkien, amateur. I've still not seen the Hobbit films. Oh, you're not missing out. Yeah, I loved the book and when I heard they were making three films out of it, I was just like, nah. Yeah, yeah I, I like The Hobbit, the book. I, I was a big fan of it as a kid, for the record, so, you know. And... I think I think The Hobbit the, it's, it's a really good read, but The Lord of the Rings is really, like, it's a slog. I didn't get as... I got as far as Tom Bombadil in Fellowship of the Rings, and then I was just like, nah. I imagine it's very similar to when I tried to read uh, Les Miserables and it's like, oh my <laughs> god, it's just it's like a whole chapter describing this priest's coat and what fabric is made <laughs> out of. I just, fucking hell, just put it in a song or I'm not interested. <laughs> <laughs> What's Tom Bombadil? Um, Tom Bombadil was the uh, so he's a character that they the hobbits meet before they've even met Aragorn or anything. And I think the thing with him is that he's not he's meant to be like one of the only people who that's not tempted by the ring. So okay. I suppose that's probably why they took it out of the film because why wouldn't you just give the ring to the person who can't be tempted by it and he can go off and do the job? What is he? he I think he's a hobbit type thing. He's either a hobbit or a man from what I can remember. They should have built a robot because then the robot <laughs> wouldn't be able to be tempted. <laughs> Some like of sort of stone robot thing. A golem. Golem. That'd be confusing. Gollum and a golem. So, that's the two I, towers. So, I mean, golems are famously... Well, not famously, but golems are part of Jewish mythology. And I, I have to ask, just out of interest, um, does anyone know how J.R.R. Tolkien feels about Jewish people? Because I've got, I've, got, I've got a hunch it's not favourable, but, I mean, this is based on nothing. Well, to be honest with you, I was thinking the same thing when I was looking at this last for last week's episode, and... Uh, I was thinking, you know, there's a lot of stuff in here that's obviously about nationalism, but, you yeah. know, these different races of people. I thought, like, what, is he a big old racist or what? Um, but apparently he was very anti-fascist. Yeah, I bet he's very like, look, you lot stay over there, and we'll stay over here, and we'll all be happy. I bet you that was his um, general attitude. From what, from what little bit I read on the Wikipedia, it seemed he was very anti-fascist and very anti-communist as well, and so he's sort of very anti-Nazi. Um, I don't know, he seems to have fallen on the right side of history and all that. 
Well, fair play to him. But yeah, I know what you mean. Seems like the sort of person who... <laughs> yeah, old school racism. Uh, so I, I just assume anyone who wrote books back in the old days was racist. Rudyard Kipling and all that lot. <laughs> well, they were. I did love that song at the end. Gollum's song. It was Especially right. as a it... teenager. For me, it was like super angsty. What's the song? When he's singing and catching the fish? No, no, it's it's over the credits. <laughs> it's uh... Gollum does a song over the credits. It's it's sung over the Godfather theme that was playing throughout the film, I believe. It's kind of using the same melody. A splashy pool is nice and cool. <laughs> like that's that. not that's not well, yes, that is a song. <laughs> Which is also a lovely song from the uh, So Juicy Sweet. But this is like <laughs> This is like this mystical song sang, sang over the credit with this like Bjork sounding voice and, you know, being lonely or, and nobody being their friend. And so it's, it's called Gollum's Song. And it, I, I, it really spoke to me as a teenager. So I listened to it a lot. <laughs> I even got the sheet music for it and tried to learn it. <laughs> <laughs> On what? What instrument? No, singing. Oh. oh. To do it in my singing lessons. But it's really hard to sing like her. How did that work out? Yeah, I'm not going to sing it now. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if there's one thing I, the ghost of Cubby R. Broccoli, am definitely not, it's live. But that's exactly what Diminishing Returns was during the 2020 coronavirus lockdown. Here's a clip you might remember if you watched along when it was broadcast but it got removed from the audio edit. Oh, oh, oh! We recorded with Emily recently, and at the end of the record, I spent about an hour telling Emily to watch Community, and Alan, <laughs> Alan dropped off the call and never came back halfway through. I just left. I just left. <laughs> it was it was like half past one in the morning. We'd just done a fucking <laughs> Return of the King record, which took four hours. <laughs> but... I am only just at the start of season three rewatching Community right now, and I'm pretty sure Emily's already overtaken that point. Yeah, <laughs> very close. Um, just past the halfway point of season two. That was like three days ago or something. So <laughs> my my recommendations are on point. So you'll be happy to hear that. Happy to hear <laughs> that I've uh, started rewatching it as well. Good. Uh, because I think I've watched the first couple of series, but I'm going to watch through it all. Emily, you'll be happy to know that Grace is watching it as well, so you'll be able to talk to her. <laughs> Yes. Dan Harmon is amazing, and they've just announced he's doing another show on top of Rick and Morty, uh, an animated thing about a person who's like the Antichrist, but it's a girl voiced by Aubrey Plaza, and Danny DeVito's in it, and I can't wait. Oh my god, that's <laughs> incredible. I, I think I, I started watching Community, and I think, and I'm sure everyone has this, where you like start it, and then you're like, oh, I am like... 70% that character and whatever's left to make up 100% that character and therefore I can like I'm in this show like I am in this program so this is fun I don't actually I have that with Friends and Peep Show like for the longest time the sort of running gag with with me and Calvin and on my Tinder profile has been that I don't know if I'm more of a Jeremy or more of a Mark from Peep Show because I always used to think I was Mark, but then one day Calvin said I was more of a Jeremy. Oh. And then I kind of started to think, like, yeah, like, failed artist. And, <laughs> like, 
it's, there's a sort of arrogance and rudeness to my mom and laziness and all these things. It's like, oh, <laughs> yeah. really attractive qualities in a person. We did have a moment at university where we were both sort of like, oh, we're just like Jeremy and Mark. Oh, yeah, we are just like Jeremy and Mark. Yeah, you're such a Jeremy. Oh, no, wait, you're, you're Jeremy. What? Like, like, <laughs> I'm not contesting that given a choice between the two of us, you are Mark, Calvin. I'll, I'll give you that. You are the the plain white toast for dessert and the brown toast for the main course. Guy. Oh, oh, right, yeah, that is me. I've done that. But as I, yeah, as I've kind of grown, I've started to realise there's a depressing amount of Jeremy in me. But I am very split between those two, and I have the same thing when I watch Friends. I think I'm kind of certainly equal parts uh, Ross and Chandler. Rachel. I used to just. <laughs> I used to just think I was Chandler. And there's a bit of Joey in there, a little bit. So all the men split. Yeah. What What was... Oh, yeah, community. I have no idea who no, I No, we weren't talking about... That was a tangent. And let's not go down a Harmon hole again. All right, let's... <laughs> Alan, have you seen Birds of Prey yet? Because we're still men have recorded the Minnesota on that at some point. But Alan? <laughs> Is he gone? He's being beaten He's... by technology again. Oh, dear. Let's scan him here. We've done very well to get this far into the episode without... Does he know that we're still on? I can see him. What's he doing? Yeah, but can he see us? Oh, he's grinning. Can he hear us all all along? I, I mean, that's probably a good enough place to move on. Otherwise, we're going to get into Birds of Prey in, in depth and its failings and shortcomings. And that's probably probably enough to talk about there for a full episode, honestly. It's... The problem is Emily was controlling the um, the <laughs> unmuting. Well, it's all right. We can consider so... this a second interval. I'm going to get my my next drink. I'm sorry, I, I missed a bit of there. Oh. I'm trying to figure out how to make my thing work. I'm sorry, I'm just concerned about my battery running out, and I'm trying to charge it whilst also still doing this, and it's proving very difficult. Huh. During the 2020 Oscars episode, the guys got sidetracked doing a quiz about my good pal Marty Scorsese. You know he said Marvel movies ain't a form of art? Well, I agree. You don't go to a movie like M-Man and the Wasp to get a deeper insight into what makes man tick. Save death for the human in terror section in the 007 franchise. Oh, oh, oh! Seven. Let me ask you a quick impromptu trivia question. Oscar trivia. How many times has Martin Scorsese been nominated for an Oscar? Ooh... I bet it's for really stupid shit like Hugo. Just uh, a number. Any Oscar at all? Any Oscar at all. Not just directing? Yeah. Now we know he's only won one, but how many has been nominated for total? If he was nominated as writer and director, is that two for the yeah. same film? Two different right. Oscars, shit, two okay. different nominees. But I don't know which films he wrote. I'm of, I mean, what, uh, eight. Eight? You're going with eight? Yeah. No. <laughs> I reckon it's like I reckon it's like four films. It's ten films. Oh, really? Well, I I reckon Hugo's one of them. Yeah. I reckon The Last Temptation of Christ is probably one of them. Okay, I'll, I'll tick them off as you do them. So Hugo, is he's got Best Director and Best Picture. He was a name producer on that oh, one. Oh, you're counting Best Picture, name producer, shit. Well, only if he is a name producer, if his name's on the nomination. I was thinking, I was thinking writer-director, yeah. Last Temptation of Christ, uh, yes, Best Director. That was his second nomination, if that gives you any help. Casino probably got something of some sort, although it might just be acting stuff for Casino. Yeah, nothing for Casino. Uh, Goodfellas, though, I reckon probably yeah. snuck in a Best Picture nod. Uh, I don't know if it did. He was Best Director, no. and he was also nominated no. for Best uh, Adapted Screenplay. 
he might not have been the name producer on that if it was Best Picture. I don't know. Okay. Um, so now we're getting into... Oh, oh, God. Documentary. I bet he did some fucking documentaries that got nominated. <laughs> no. <laughs> no? He has done a couple. Yeah, but yeah, no, he wasn't there. Okay. What was it? The Last Waltz? Is that his? I think Taxi Driver did get nominated for Best Picture, didn't it? Although I imagine he was overlooked for like director and stuff. Uh, he was not nominated for Taxi Driver. If it was Best Picture, then it, he wasn't. He wasn't the producer, maybe. But... Oh, okay. Maybe it wasn't nominated. Um, Silence. I think he. Silence. Did he get anything for that a few years back? No. I haven't watched it yet. Uh, Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shutter Island. Did that get in anywhere? No. Uh, obviously, The Departed that you won for. Yeah. Aviator, Gangs of New York, and then I think that's... I don't think you got any of them. You got, you got a lot of them there. So I'll, I'll go through it and quickly, right? Um, Raging Bull. Oh, fuck, I forgot Raging Bull. Last Temptation of Christ. Uh, Goodfellas and Adaptive Screenplay for that. Best Adaptive Screenplay for Age of Innocence. Never heard of it. It's the one with uh, Winona Ryder doing a sort of strange... British accent. Uh, Gangs of New York, Aviator, The Departed, um, Hugo, uh, as we said, Wolf of Wall Street, also Best Picture for Wolf of Wall Street, and then The Irishman, Director and Best Picture. 14 total nominations, one win. Okay, where are we going next? Uh, I guess we're jumping forward to 1966. But we've just been in the 80s when we finished on The Irishman, surely. Oh, we've got to go back. We've got to go back. (laughs) we got to go back to the future. Yeah, so uh, <laughs> DeLorean, this one, I guess? I guess. Yeah, go for it. All right. Da, 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 da. <laughs> Taxi Driver was nominated for Best Picture, by the way. Yeah, there you go. All right, I'll give you a quiz. <laughs> All right. How many Oscars has James Mangold been nominated for? <laughs> uh, two. Yeah? <laughs> well done, yes. <laughs> hey. Care to care to take a stab at uh, what they are? No, really. <laughs> well, one of them is Ford v Ferrari. Okay, well that was hence, uh... hence this. Uh, yeah. Hang on. So, oh wait a minute. Are you do you mean best director? No, I mean Oscars. Full. Oh, any. Oh, has he written stuff? Does he? Oh, is he best? Is he named producer? I don't know. Uh, uh, I'll give you a clue. The the other one is for writing. I want to say Walk the Line. Is that the... Nope. Did he do that? He directed it. Did he write it? Did he write it? I don't know if he writes everything. I thought Walk the Line was up for loads, but uh, I guess he wasn't nominated for it specifically. Um, I don't know. Then go on. What else? No, it's Logan. Oh, really? Best Adapted Screenplay nod. A far more deserving comic book film than one we'll be talking about later. (laughs) (laughs) And just in case you didn't believe me about getting all highbrow and classy-like, here's a clip about Hamlet. How can he? It's like the absolute... I mean, I get really outraged about this because one of the first things that my theatre company did was an adaptation of Dracula. And having seen, like, film versions and then reading the book, I was like, how Mm. can they possibly say... How can they call that film Bram Stoker's Dracula? Because it has nothing to do with the book. It's actually outrageous. It's literally like... I mean, you cannot... To to say, like, this, this Dracula... 
is Bram Stoker's Dracula. And actually, it's not Bram Stoker's Dracula. It's just utterly outrageous. Like, we've taken the character. Well, it's, 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 it's much like Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, directed is it? by Kenneth Branagh. Does he? I haven't seen that, you see, so I don't, <laughs> I don't know. But I do, like, all the additions to this. I mean, it literally is not the story of the book. Mm. Um, actually, so. actually, talking about that, I, I noticed um, Helena Bonham Carter was a very noticeable absence in this film. <laughs> so I assume she'd broken up with Kenneth Branagh by the time... No, they were it. together, but she'd just done it. She's She plays Ophelia in the Mel Gibson Hamlet. Oh, a few, right. so she'd just done it on film like a few years before. What about Emma Thompson? Where was oh. she? What was she doing? They well, they were broke. They would have been broken up because he was with Helena Bonham Carter by oh, then. So there was so. still bad blood. <laughs> Presumably, um, yeah. I I always I always find the whole Helena Bonham Carter Kenneth Branagh thing fascinating purely because. I think that pretty much the first non-Tim Burton movie she did after breaking up with him was Kenneth Branagh's Cinderella, and it, it was just the classic, like, oh, you've gone on the rebound. Controlling back. <laughs> back to... Ooh. Um, yeah, very odd. Um, but yeah, I, I did spend a lot of this film knowing that Helena Bonham Carter was with him and going, like, what's the appeal? Like, what is the appeal of Branagh? Like, these amazing women. But it's the moustache. It must be. It must have been the Hamlet moustache. Um, hey, he's an Oscar nominee. Ugh. <laughs> For... No, I love, and I, like, as I say, I, I, um, some of my deep love of Shakespeare comes from very much from his Much Ado, and it's a that is a fantastic film, and it has it has Michael Keaton mm. absolutely massacring Shakespeare, but Branagh Thompson, um, Denzel Washington is fantastic in it, and my always my example of Americans can do Shakespeare, um, and well, yes, Keanu Reeves is not. Yeah, I mean, that was about celebrity gossip, but it was still about Shakespeare. Did you guys know that back when I was alive, I tried to make a movie out of Day of the Triffids? Well, these guys do. I know you want clips from Diminishing Returns, but this is from a recording session for some other podcast called Development Hell. I've got some trivia for you. Oh, go on. I've got... To... <laughs> okay, this is, this is a question for you, okay? So, um, are you prepared for this? Yes. So the ship that goes to explore Rama, okay, the ship yeah. that the crew is from, that ship is called Endeavor. Okay. What other famous ships called Endeavor are there, Saul? Oh, God. Um, Endeavor. There's a big one. Basically, there's only one. Oh, I know. I'm missing something. Um, I have no idea. Okay. It's Captain Cook, the guy who created Australia. Oh, yeah, and and uh, and did he did he get the idea from Rendezvous with Rama? Um, it, the, ripping it off. Uh, yeah, it's not that. It's not the, that. I mean, is that is that where he got the idea for Australia? That's what. Yeah, asking. yeah, that's all, it. All the plants and things. Uh, yeah. yeah, that's it. I mean, okay. um, when he was thinking about you know Australia and you know like conceiving it as the <laughs> penal colony, penal colony that it is. <laughs> uh, yeah, that it was definitely a direct inspiration for him. So yeah, there you go, Captain Cook Endeavor. The guy who discovered oh, nice. Australia—that's where they got it from. And yeah. um, I like—I thought I thought I could try and work this kind of you know trivia in and be like, oh, what other famous ships are there called Endeavour? And there, there's fucking none. It, it's just it's just this Australian one, and then a couple of other spaceships uh, from the NASA Space Program are also called Endeavour. But because of this first Endeavour, 
And I also thought the ship in Interstellar was called was called Endeavor, but no, it was called Endurance. So this whole trivia thing uh, just kind of didn't work out at all. Uh, but there you go. Uh, so the, the the guy who made Australia, Captain Cook, the real Endeavor. <laughs> I like a bit of trivia. Uh-huh. I was going to try and do that for Kaleidoscope as well, but I couldn't think of anything. <laughs> you know, development hell is much nicer than regular hell. Not that I know. I'm too rich for that shit. Oh! Finally, we're getting to the good stuff, the James Bond stuff. This ain't one of mine the boys were talking about, but forget about it! The World Is Not Enough was produced by Barbara Broccoli. You coming to my house on the day my daughter is to be producing James Bond movies and you ask me for some outtakes? I can't get no respect. Oh, just to, this is a total aside, I just reminded me of it. Uh, Calvin, I, w- I saw this um, interview with Roger Moore. For some reason, I, I know I've sent you a couple of things. I keep mm. getting things on my YouTube, like recommending Roger Moore interviews from like no years way. ago. So <laughs> I, I blame you for that. Anyway, it was a, it was an interview with him during when he was making The Saint. So it was obviously pre-Bond. Oh. And it said, they said to him, well, why, why do you think you got the part as The Saint? He said Sean Connery wasn't available, <laughs> which I thought was an interesting thing. Yeah, yeah, no. He was very uh, self-deprecating, Yeah, Roger. he's always uh, making gags. I did have it pointed out to me um, not that long ago that obviously she shoots a tank and the hot air balloon blows up, but the only tank that would really be worthwhile to take on such a thing would be uh, helium or something like that, in which case her voice would be like this. <laughs> she actually shot a tank of helium, but anyway. Why would you take helium on a balloon? Well, to pump up the balloon. It's not a pumped up balloon, is it? It's a, it's a, it's a hot air balloon, not a giant helium balloon. He- helium's incredibly valuable. We're running out of helium, guys. Do you know that? Yeah. They can't really? make more. Yeah, yeah, genuinely. So they, they, you can't, like, make helium. They haven't figured out a way, so they mine it, and oh. there's they're, like, really starting to worry about it because helium reserves are getting quite rare now and yet we still piss about with putting them in balloons for little kids yeah who'd be happy with a cardboard box well what are we actually going to use it for is there a serious use for it lots of them yeah (laughs) yeah like industrial you know what do you use helium for actually i don't know but lots of chemical things chemical chemical things (laughs) 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 so yeah she kills herself rather than go back to uh, her boss mm. who we don't know yeah, who you he know is. He's bad. we don't we we do get sort of told who he is but we don't meet him until 50 minutes into the film <laughs> so mm. and then it turns out he's just like the bane to the french woman who tells him what to do mm. Mm. do the voice calvin do the voice <laughs> <laughs> which one what, which yeah <laughs> bane or take your pick what? Take your pick. There's no point in living if you can't feel alive, Mr. Bond. Was that Sophie <laughs> Marceau or Robert Carlyle? That was supposed to be, yeah. <laughs> Which voice did Sol mean? <laughs> I was talking about Bane. Oh, hello, Batman. <laughs> oh, that's pretty good. Oh, where's mine handy? <laughs> <laughs> Bane isn't German. <laughs> <laughs> he is when you do it. <laughs> oh god oh i tell you what though we we had german bond on uh oh, last god. last time we did a bond episode i think we might get a little appearance from another of uh, bond's bond. international <laughs> <laughs> relatives a bit later Russian on in this film 
Is he coming over here to interfere with our podcast? Is that is gonna uh, <laughs> yeah, try yeah, fix yeah, the ratings? Yeah. You know, th- this is a this is a total tangent, and I'll probably have to take it out of the edit. But I just want to I just want to say to you, Alan, in particular, okay. um, like I'm I'm watching Game of Thrones at the minute. Mm. I don't know if I'm going to stick with it because it's it's really not doing it for me. But <laughs> where are you? I'm like two episodes into season two at this point. Oh, okay. Mm. You know, I'm watching it with my girlfriend, and basically the other day I was watching it, up pops Tony Way, <laughs> I laughed out loud, <laughs> but then I was in this really difficult um, position of having to try and explain what Tony Way is, <laughs> <laughs> and I and I really couldn't do it, and I wanted to compare it, I wanted to be like, well he's like Omid Dujalili, he just, he's this like... <laughs> He appears in like films much bigger <laughs> than he has any right to be in. <laughs> yeah, it's just it was, it's a very weird thing, isn't it, Tony Way <laughs> and Omidisha Lily. Yeah, it's like when Eddie Marsden turns up as like the main villain in Mission Impossible <laughs> Four or whatever. It's yeah, <laughs> like what? Yeah. Anyway, so has Denise Richards done anything else in the last twenty years? She's one of the real housewives of Beverly Hills. <laughs> She was What's in that? the film uh, Money Plane with Kelsey Grammer recently, <laughs> which got released. Money Plane? Uh, Money Plane. I was going to say, Money Train's like an Eddie Murphy film or something, isn't it? I think we should actually watch that film and uh, do an episode on it. I've not seen it yet, but it's got Kelsey Grammer and Denise Richards in it, and it's like, there's so some kind definitely of... definitely going to be good. <laughs> there's some kind of very financially beneficial aircraft or something that people are after, so it sounds like good fun. She was, of course, in um, another film we've covered as well. She was the she was the big get for Love Actually when they wanted a, an American model to oh. to top up. She's one of the Americans, right? Who kisses Chris yeah, Marshall, yeah, yeah. and I don't know. She's not she's not the main one, is she? She's just one of several. But <laughs> she was also in um, Cruel Intentions, and she kissed uh, Nev Campbell in that film, I believe, which is sort of one of her more notable, you know, most more talked oh, about her? things. And I think that and I think that is another I no, I think it's Nev Campbell. No, I mean... I'm pretty sure the the poster is Denise Richards and uh Nev Campbell. What's the one with Sarah Michelle Geller then? Oh are you think oh Is that Cruel Intentions too? <laughs> Sarah Michelle Geller's involved in one of those. She definitely kisses there's like oh, a wait. famous lesbian kiss with Sarah Michelle oh, God. Gellar. No, you're absolutely right, Alan. That is Sarah Michelle Gellar. What's the one that I'm thinking of with Denise Richards in it? Wild Things, you're thinking of. Wild Things, Campbell, that's yeah. it. Uh, okay, Did then, she yeah. get off with her in that? Uh, I believe so. Uh, they're in the water and they, like, kiss or something, and that was kind of... But again, I think this speaks to a bit of snobbishness about sort of Bond fans looking down on, oh, this you know, um, Starship Troopers and all this kind of stuff. She wasn't really terribly well established and all that kind of stuff. And uh, I think that's really unfair when you... I think she's a better actress than a lot of them from the 60s and 70s. Yeah. Yeah, Sophie Marceau had been in Braveheart. Like, nobody knew who she was. It's because she's French. Yeah. Well, yeah, but that's it. That's what they do, isn't it? They cast these, you know, uh, women from Europe who are might be a step bit established in their own countries but not really known to western audiences and when they do cast sort of actresses that are known to western audiences it's uh yeah anyway i that's think what they did with christoph it... waltz isn't it yeah my final note refers to uh we see james bond having sex at the end mm. are we not we, we're not going to talk about the uh submarine sequence oh god what? disappointing lack of semen 
<laughs> I think some. I don't even think some of these are legitimate seamen. I think they're just. Uh, of course, all all the yeah, submarines masquerading. Yeah, all the seamen who would normally be there have, of course, been discharged from the. Uh, <laughs> oh God! From the tube at that point. <laughs> he puts himself in a torpedo tube and shoots himself out for a bit. Oh yeah, yeah, of course. I forgot about that. And then he just comes back in somewhere else. Just feel like, what was? Just go through the door. What's wrong with you? I, I was really disappointed at the lack of a shot of James Bond, like, flying through the sea, having been, like, properly shot out of a torpedo <laughs> tube. Because they kind of set it up like it's gonna happen, and I was like, no, they're not gonna do this, are they? And then... <laughs> I did have, uh, yeah, I, I could have done with, like, a 3D map of the submarine at some point to kind of understand where he's going and why she needs to press the button to get him into the thing which leads to the other room where Renard is so then he can come and unlock the thing and let Christmas in and all this kind of stuff. It's all a bit... And we have the fight and it's Mm. not that great, but Renard is killed because he's... Yeah. He's penetrated with this rod. (laughs) I think a 3D map's a bit beyond their ability in 1999 based on the other CGI effects that we see throughout the film. Mm. Well, in a couple of uh, yeah, a couple of years, we have a 3D map in uh, Resident Evil, of course. <laughs> Do you know who made that 3D map? Re- Paul W. Oh, right, no, sorry. I don't know why I, I know this. I thought you were going to say who made Resident Evil. No, that, say, well, that... I can talk even more about that. For some reason, all the 3D map visual effects in Resident Evil were created by a guy called John T. Picking, who <laughs> is... <laughs> is best known as uh, Weeble, the guy who creates Weeble and Bob cartoons and Badger, Badger, Badger and all that stuff. For whatever reason, they hired him to do the maps on Resident Evil. It was a different time. Such an odd... (laughs) I think he he just works in visual effects and, you know, that's his side hustle, but yeah. Would you like one, one little nugget of trivia before we go? Yes. The World Is Not Enough is the only James Bond film I own on DVD. Did you have to buy it for the purpose of this recording? Well, I, I saw it in a charity shop for like 20p <laughs> years ago, and I thought, oh, we'll be doing that on the podcast one day. I have a DVD of Never Say Never Again, which has been sat on my shelf for about two and a half years <laughs> for the same reason. Yeah. I've never seen it. I thought, 20p. That's cheaper than a rental's ever going to be. Let's get on that. Hmm. So there you go. And, uh, you know, I'm sure by the time this goes out, I will no longer have it on DVD. (laughs) 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 No, I'll keep it it for Denise Richards if I ever want to just... If you ever end up single again. Yeah, just look at her lovely face. Oh, Denise. Hmm. You should try to sync all the internet, mate. Hey, yo! Thanks for the guests featured in this week's episode. Calvin Dyson, Judy Bignell, Connor Murray, Thomas Targus, Andrew Ellis, Grace Miller, Emily Slade, Nikki Diss, and thanks to the other podcast, Development Help, for their clip. You can find those guys by searching Dev Hell Pod on most social media places, or just heading over to their page at dimreturns.com.
Oh, sorry guys, I gotta go. I'm uh, getting summoned for a haunting. Right, lads. Welcome to another My Weekly Japanese Bond livestream. My best pal, definitely not racist, Liam Nishin gave me this videotape for my birthday last week and said I should check it out, so here goes. It's a very student film. I'm sure it's a lot scarier at night. Shite.